Star Trek Four. Yeah. The whale mm-hmm. one. The whale one. Save the whales. Yeah. Star Trek Four. Save the whales. That's the best one. It's the best one. Really it good. is. People say Rathicon. I say Save the Whales is the best one. I know it's called the Voyage Home for anyone listening, but it's it's not though. They changed it's called it. Called Save the Whales. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. All right, so let's talk about some shit with uh, me, Will, and Rocky. Rocky's kind of the uh, sort of like the host for this one because it was his idea. It's gonna be a sciencey episode. Yeah, we're talking about some because uh, we science-y both like sciencey shit, mm-hmm. space, both nerds we, that way. We don't know how successful this would be in a regular episode, so we thought try it. Yeah, I'm sure we'd bore everyone else, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. For those who think it's cool, it's really cool. For those who have no interest in it, it's like really boring. Okay, so you don't know about the issue with relativity and quantum mechanics and how right. there's no unified theory because those yeah. two theories hate each other, basically. Yeah, for yeah. yeah, for those of you who don't know, they're the two most successful. Uh, physics theories ever and they describe almost everything Um, relativity deals mainly with the super big and gravity and quantum mechanics obviously deals with the subatomic particles and how that works Mm -hmm. but um, there's points in the universe where those things interact with each other but we don't understand how because the theories don't really work together yeah yeah they they don't don't make any sense um at high energies or like inside black holes for example or on um like the very beginning of the universe we don't understand how that works because it would mean combining these two general theories together and at the moment there's just no one can figure out how to do that. Scientists are basically that's <laughs> physicists are their main goal right now is to find a unified theory no. that un- unites both. But as of right now, we're basically just stuck with two theories and understanding the universe two different ways, and they don't work together. And the main one of the main problems is that uh, space in relativity is continuous and not discrete. Uh, items of it's hard to say like pieces of space but Mm -hmm. that's essentially what it's not so in quantum mechanics you have discrete particles and discrete measurements and there is no continuous it's either that or it's this other thing and Mm -hmm. that's how it works in in um in terms of like the electron shells that are over a, a nucleus of an atom it's either here, the electron can be either here, or it can be there. It cannot be in between. It's right. weird. That's just, that's how it works. And so, and obviously the particles are either, there, there's no continuous size of a particle. It's just, it is what it is. <clears throat> yeah. So that's one of the main 
issues. And uh, so this dude, his name is Stephen Wolfram, and he's like he's sort of like a an independent scientist, I would call him. Like he doesn't work for a university. Any, anyone in particular? Yeah. Yeah, he's just like, and he he made his money doing other things, so he doesn't get paid to do science stuff other than by like he published a book and then people bought the book. Um, but he made this um, computer program that a lot of people use now called Mathematica, and that's how he made a lot of his money. And then this search engine called Wolfram Alpha, I think, which uh, like sciencey people use for certain things. I don't know. I've mm -hmm. gone on, and it's kind of weird. But, but what he also does is um, he does this thing with uh, this area of study called um that deals with uh hang on cellular automaton or automata so do you see this yeah see what i'm showing you okay yeah it looks like minesweeper yeah yeah it looks like minesweeper so this is <laughs> called this is called the game of life and it's basically an example of cell cellular automata which is basically you have this grid and then the yellow box is a, is a a yellow box is a populated grid, and then there's rules that control this little grid here. And it's these are the rules, okay? Um, each cell with one or no neighbors dies if, as if by solitude. So if a cell like this here, I'll just show you. I'll clear it, and if I start it, it'll just die right away, right? Right. Because that's one of the rules. If a cell is alone, it has no no neighbors, it dies. Um, each cell with four or more neighbors dies as if by overpopulation. Each cell with two or three neighbors survives. And then for each space that is empty or unpopulated, each cell with three neighbors becomes populated. So there's four rules to this game, basically. And all you do is you populate some squares and see what happens so this is like a very simple one i'll show you what happens and i'll speed up the time let's say i just populate three and this mm. happens okay and that'll go on forever right right if i just populated two i think yeah they just die um if i go to four Oh, wait. Oh. And then here's what happens when I go to 10 in a row. Oops. And if I speed this up, it's just that pattern over and over and over again. It doesn't mm. really... It doesn't stop and it repeats that pattern right mm -hmm. so this is an example of cellular cellular automaton i hate that fucking phrase because i can never say it right but um <laughs> it's basically what happens when simple rules are basically fed into a system and they end up um spitting out these very complicated interactions and so his work, the the guy, the Stephen Wolfram guy, his work was in this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wrote a book, uh, like, 
in 2005 called a new type of science or a new kind of science, which dealt with this stuff and how it will need to be applied to things in life and physics and biology and all that stuff. No one, like a few people took it seriously, but it was it never made it like big, like revolutionary. Like mainstream. Which, yeah. yeah. Um, but it should have. And now he's working on this project, which isn't finished, by the way. So it's not like he has this theory of everything that's finished and he's trying to get people on board. He, what he did was he and a, his team, basically they, they have discrete points and they're supposed to model discrete points of space. And they just input simple rules into these discrete points. They start off with a few points and then they, like this, they start off with a few basic rules, like four rules. So he runs these simulations with these simple rules and these discrete parts of space, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it started to create these shapes. They started to look like things. Um, and there's no program, there's no, there's no information in the program that says make this shape, make a three-dimensional shape, make an object. It right. just started to make these objects as an emergent property, right? And so currently they have... What and they the, started with very simple rules. Simple rules, basically like the ones I was just saying, except they're a little more mathematical. Like if you have point X and Y connected to each other and X and Z connected to each other and um, Z and this point connected to each other, if that exists, then there'll be another point that they'll all connect to in the next iteration, basically. Um, mm. So it's iterative. It's like a... You do this rule, and then that happens, and then you do it again, and so it feed, there's a feedback on itself. And then if you do that enough, these structures pop out. And what they also wow. found is that these also started spitting out, as an emergent property, Einstein's equations of general relativity, oh, right? Um, and they didn't program those in there. They just started to happen. Um, so he currently doesn't think that, like, they have, they have found the rules of how space forms. But he thinks that space, in general, is an emergent property of these discrete, discrete pieces, I guess, of space. Mm-hmm. And the rules, whatever they come from, he doesn't get into that, I don't think, where the rules come from. But it, it's possible or so he thinks that um that there's a set of rules that are simple that govern how space emerges into what we see today which includes um matter in the universe as well as the actual space between so basically he thinks that they're kind of the same thing just in different like a different aspect of the same thing Mm-hmm. That are all emergent out of these simple rules. And, so these are like eventualities from these simple rules. Like they're yeah. inevitable almost. Right. Like he and the structures that he's doing, he he has to do it in a computer, like with a huge computational power, because you have to run the the um the iterations like thousands of times. Mm-hmm. And the limitations that he talks about are like, well, our universe 
could be the result of doing iterations like this 10 to the like 500 times, which is longer than any computer could if you left it on. For, yeah, you just couldn't. So that's a limitation where you might not be able to find out if you have the right rules. Because <laughs> um, one thing about cellular automaton like this is that you can't predict how it's going to be going to look down the line, even if you know all the rules. Right. Uh, because you would, well, the kind of calculations, the it. amount of calculations you'd have to do, there's just no way. It's equivalent to just going through step by step and then seeing the end. Right. So there's no, there's no way to like shortcut it. This is really interesting thing to me because cellular automaton, the rules that apply to everything else. So for instance, complex shapes coming out of simple rules mm -hmm. is ubiquitous in like biology, for example. The way our lungs work, for example, is that there's a tube and then it branches out like this. And then all those branches branch and then those branches branch out more and branch out more and branch out more until you have the end, which is a tiny little thing like that. And in that thing, there's branches of um, stuff. It's basically a sequence of branches. Mm -hmm. And there's, it's not like our DNA has to code for the entire shape of our lungs or anything. There would just be too much information to encode. Right. All it encodes is Other where to rules. branch is yeah, yeah is where to branch it with proportion of length to branch so this thing about things emerging complex things emerging from simple rules seems to be like all over the place in nature whether it's biology or mm -hmm. physics and for that reason i think um I'm into this theory that he has because everything else is in some way that I know about is emergent from simple rules that turn into complex systems mm -hmm. because of the way they interact. And I think it would be super like they can't experiment with this yet uh, in any way, except for like they're getting mathematically. Yeah. Yeah mathematically and in simulations but they can't run any actual physical experiments yet because uh for a bunch of things i don't understand but <clears throat> he doesn't answer where these rules come from or anything like that or why right. they would emerge um but if they're there it would make sense and it would make sense if the universe was governed like this the way everything else inside it is pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, because we have a simp simple rules for gravity, basically. And gravity yeah. emerges into shit like galaxies and uh, black holes and other crazy shit. And we have simple rules for self-replicating organisms that eventually turned into what we have now, like every species on Earth and weird monkeys trying to figure everything out. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. What do you think about it? I mean, I think he's onto something. Like, basically what you're saying is that, like, like, say, just going back to, like, biology, just 
I just so because the cosmic aspect of it is like almost too big to even get into. But like if you're talking about life forms like like evolution and um you know um how that got started, you know, basically, you know, we're talking about DNA and it's like, you know, we say, you know, DNA, you know, holds basically everything that you need in order for this kind of thing to exist versus this kind of thing. And we know that they're basically yeah. How it does it is so it's surprisingly efficient because when they did the human genome project, uh-huh. uh, they thought there would be like over a hundred thousand genes or something in humans because we're so complex, right? Or something like that. Uh, but there's there's only like twenty five thousand. Yeah. Because the way that genes work is they encode relatively simple rules, but the rules yeah when they're interacting with each other make something complex so yeah it's not that the dna is so complex that it holds like every single thing you would need in order to make something like as if like ingredients they just hold like mathematical rules basically that like you need the they just encode rules so that this kind of thing emerges from it like um that's he's probably onto something with that um yeah and i i think uh What's cool about the project is that it's open source and open to the public. So um, what they're doing now is trying to find if they can basically find the rules that would model the universe. Because they have have these models that are spitting out Einstein's equations and stuff. But they're not, they don't know if they're, um, if these rules they're using are anything like the rules in our actual universe. They're just saying, look at what happens when you apply these rules to these things that looks like space of some sort. Yeah. And so they're allowing a whole bunch of people, whoever they want to, to sort of like contribute. And I can't because I'm not smart enough for that. But um, <laughs> that's really cool as well. Sort of like a, a crowdsource physics simulation thing well it's called um citizen scientists like yeah that's all the time citizens i i just heard and uh, i was listening to a uh, thing on npr about that how like a lot of like big projects like this are just like regular people i mean they're super smart but they're just like at home like and they do just oh i'm gonna do the coding for this particular aspect and then and they just send it in and it's done uh, yeah. rather than having to fund like you know, and having to pay like a million people to figure this shit out. I think that's a feature of science, honestly. Yeah. Instead of it being kind of a something that's only owned by a few a few people. Yeah, and this thing in academia. I mean, science started out with just people messing around. They yep. weren't part of the universities anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Some of the greatest discoveries are just by random people who yeah. are just doing... And uh, I have to share this. So in an article I was reading about um, his his new, like, theory and models and stuff, um, it was, uh, oops, it was this article sort of summarizing what he was talking about. But mm-hmm. one of the, in, in the article, the person says, uh, while Wolfram's project is promising, it does contain more than a hint of hubris. Wolfram is going up against Einstein's and Hawking's 
um, of the world, and he's doing it without a life spent publishing in uh, physics journals. Apparently, so they're saying, like, uh, why don't you, like, chill because you're not, like, a real physicist to this guy. But, like, apparently they forgot <laughs> when Einstein published uh, Special Relativity, he was working at the patent office. Yeah. <laughs> he was just some he guy. Was not, yeah, he was just some guy. And then he published uh, uh, the general theory in 1925. I think he started working, but he started working um, in more academic areas after he published that, after um, he published special it's not like science before. like works like you have to go you have to do the you have to go through this thing and then you got to write a book and then you have to publish this paper and this and that and then you get to actually make a theory i like, mean that's not how culture, it works and not yeah i mean not how it actually works but they're trying to like the science prestige and the academic elite elites of (laughs) science community do want it and try to make it have been trying to have it work that way for a while and i think uh things like this are gonna finally get it back to where it was which is just people doing what they were interested in Mm -hmm. and seeing if they could find some cool stuff and how there's just so much open line communication now with the internet and how you know you know, there's going to be just people like you and me who are just like, oh, that's neat. And they talk about it. And then there's going to be people who maybe had something similar and then they see this guy was doing it and then they get a hold of this guy and they're like, oh, what about this? And then it becomes like a, you know, being able to just freely share information like this is like a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we're definitely going to move more and more toward that. The, the Yeah. The way science is done right now and in terms of like how academia controls it is not good that they only publish studies that um reject the null hypothesis which meaning Mm -hmm. they 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 publish studies which get basically a positive result in terms of like oh look this does have an effect rather than they don't publish anything where someone experiments on something and then the result is looks like that doesn't have any effect on this which is very important to know it's very important to know (laughs) one because it's just useful to know what things do and don't um, produce results yeah right but another one is uh, this is less common in physics because in physics everything's pretty much always the same always no matter what but the the more complex of a system you get into so if you get into like biology or if you get into stuff like um, human interaction like psychology mm-hmm. uh, you can because the, there's such a wide variability in what you're studying which is basically mm-hmm. people and you're trying to control for that with um, by randomizing groups but you're really randomizing college students which is not that <laughs> but even if you yeah. so even if you randomize optimally like all the groups you had in the studies there's still gonna be just by coincidence positive results that only happen because that have nothing to do with the actual thing you're trying to see if it has an effect it just happened to happen because of the variability so if you have like a thousand experiments showing that this um say they're trying to see if like being exposed to uh 
I don't know, being slapped in the face makes people more uh, inclined to buy cheesecake, which is kind of experience <laughs> they do. Right. Um, so say you do that experiment a thousand times. Mm. There's one experiment where non, a non-insignificant part of the population, which when exposed to... Getting the, slapped. Yeah, when exposed to getting slapped, will choose to buy cheesecake afterwards. If you do that enough times, you're going to find a result that looks positive. But they don't publish all the times that the experiment failed, basically, that didn't yeah. result in anything. And, well, that's and you why see, science, this... and, and you also, even if they do like publish those results or they kind of just put the whole study out there, positive and negative, like, you know, it doesn't help when like kind of clickbaity media gets a hold of it and then just puts in the headline and yeah are and we sensationalizes are, are, like, sensationalizes and says you know i mean how many times have we found life on mars and then it turns out that well yeah. maybe we maybe found i don't know and that was the actual like a, yeah. that's how that was the contents of it and but and, you know people just get burnt out because they're, they're just like okay did we find it or not find it i don't like yeah, you know didn't. they don't take this shit seriously yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's one big problem is that the media that doesn't understand what the study says, first of all, mm-hmm. and then this, there's a problem with the study in that it doesn't understand really the result a lot of the time, especially in psychology. And I'm saying this as someone who studied psychology a lot in college, but I mean. You don't have to take my word for it. There's psychology been... always depressed me. I don't. I didn't like. It's a. It's a. It's a rabbit hole. You want to talk about black holes and how fucked up they are? Sure. Black holes is crazy, man. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when they, because I was working at, you know, I was working when it was open, <laughs> when I was still like actually like going up there they they actually took like a that photo of um of that black hole you know that supermassive black hole and that was fun to talk about because a lot of the people who would go up there for the tours they weren't obviously they weren't stupid or anything just normal people but there's people who like kind of they were new they knew exactly what i was talking about and then there's other people that like i was talking about black holes and things like that and they would just blow their fucking minds like they didn't even they as much as they knew about black holes was like oh it's like a hole in space like it's like uh yes and no but not really but no you know Uh, but i was uh, a while ago like when i worked at uh overnight shift i would watch videos and one of the things that I would watch about was black holes and I thought I understood black holes back then a little more than I did and now I started watching those videos I was like oh that's weird that's a lot weirder than I thought um (laughs) one of the things that I learned from from that stuff was uh light the reason light can't escape a black hole isn't the reason I thought First of all, there's like two main reasons. One is that um, 
near the event horizon. It looks black because any object that's like in front of it that's having any light reflected back towards you gets yeah. stretched out so much. And red, what they call it red shifting. It's basically when something's moving away from you super fast. And if someone shines a light at you, um, yeah. it's going to look... the when the yeah, stretch light out like this when when light waves contract it gives off a bluish glow and then when light waves are stretched it's like reddish that's why most galaxies that are like billions of light years away in a picture they look red because they're moving um, far they're moving away from us yeah they're not moving this way i think andromeda is blue with shifting. andromeda is blue shifting it's coming towards us uh, right but so if you're falling into a black hole or anything that is or if you're shining a light like that and falling into a black hole, it's the same thing. Yeah. But it doesn't. The light doesn't look red. It just gets stretched so much that it's not in the visible spectrum anymore. It's and just that, it's because red is the last visible, is the last is the last visage of the visible spectrum. Yeah. And so, and when it goes beyond that, it's like doesn't look like anything to yeah, us. You just can't see. Um, it. But that's not uh, the most crazy reason why light can't escape the black hole once it's in the black hole yeah um and this is going to sound i'm sure you know this but to everyone else the reason is that any direction the light moves once it's in the black hole is toward the singularity of it right and you can't like if you were inside a black hole there's no direction you could look or move which is further out because time and space and space change our work towards the singularity yeah so basically how i i was explained is space becomes time-like so moving through space any movement you make is in the same direction just in the future of the singularity yeah. and to so that's why basically the reason nothing including light can't escape the black holes because doing so would mean traveling backwards in time yeah because the black hole warps time so much and space so much that when you move in any direction you're moving through time towards one single point single point singularity any direction yeah yeah it when people think of it like oh you go in and the, the singularity is this thing that's at the bottom or something and you're and you're falling toward it's like that's not really you they're they're still thinking of it as space is this empty thing right and the singularity that's... is a point that's sitting in the middle of empty space it's like no 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 the singularity is like basically the eventuality of all space and time inside the black hole it's mm -hmm. it's literally the only place you could go at that point and everything that exists to you at that point at that point yeah the outside universe essentially doesn't exist anymore it's yeah. gone because and, i mean and things inside the black hole are also gone to everyone else outside they're just they don't yeah. exist well that's why it's a cool name but that's why i would explain to people when we really got into this when i had time uh during the the tours i would give but like and I would talk about this. I was like, that's why they call it the event horizon. Like, literally any event that happens beyond the event horizon doesn't affect the universe in any way. So, like, yeah. events... It essentially doesn't exist to us uh, in, 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 any, in any way 
meaningfully. So, like, and it's not just because we can't see it or because it's so contained that it's like, yeah, the events are happening, but they, they're not going to affect us, so they're essentially not happening. They're just not happening, really, to us at all. And they <laughs> never will because time slows down so much at the past, like at the, the very, like here's the event horizon and then here's the black hole. And if you're here, time essentially stops if you're looking at something falling into the black hole. Like you're like if you had a buddy and he fell past the event horizon, you'd essentially see a still image of your buddy right at that point and then they would eventually redshift and then disappear yeah like it wouldn't it wouldn't look like he was falling towards anything it would just like there was like a it's like a still image but to him he would he nothing would change he wouldn't feel like he's frozen he would fall in with no problem but he would see the rest of the universe going away yeah through time through time everything else in the universe would speed up so much that he'd see the end of it He'd see the end of the universe because, like, events at, from his perspective now. Because he's not don't... moving through time at all right now. And he's yeah. like, well, I mean, he's, he's, he is, but he's not. So for him, he'd see the whole life cycle like of the universe. This, but in the blink of an eye, like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be fast forward. It would just, he's seeing things normally and then, oh shit, and then it's all gone. Yeah. And then the black hole is the only thing. That's that your whole your whole life that exists. <laughs> and that's some fucked up shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's crazy. A hell of a way to go. Yeah. I think it's crazy that this happens just because something is over a certain mass and radius. Yeah. Because like the you have a neutron star. Yeah. You have a neutron star, which is almost a black hole but not quite because mm-hmm. it has a certain mass and uh, a certain that takes up a certain radius in space, but it's not quite enough to collapse everything into a black hole, but it's still, it's almost there in terms of like, if it was just a little smaller in terms of like how big around it was, yeah, it would turn into a black hole. Yeah. But it's in nothing to make... like a black hole Yeah, until it, until it shrinks to that yeah. point they they call it that what the point of like how much you'd have to crush something down it's called the Schwarzschild radius yeah and uh the uh you'd have to crush the earth down to the size of a pea in order for it to collapse into a black hole um and the sun is i think the the radius is three three kilometers mm-hmm. and if you you'd did that to... the sun we would still orbit it too it wouldn't like suck us in the sun how black holes work yeah. Without, because black holes. They just wouldn't provide any. Same. Yeah. They act gravitationally the same to anything outside the radius of what it was previously. Yeah. So, like, if the sun was like this big and then it got shrunk to this big, anything outside of this radius, it would be unaffected essentially in terms of gravity. Yeah. I mean, we we die. Yeah, but... we die because it would be too cold, but we would still orbit like normal. Yeah. But if you're inside that this difference between where the sun was and where the black hole of it is. Right. Then things start to get fucked up. 
Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Black holes are very. Einstein didn't even think they existed in nature. Yeah. He's like, they're too weird. He's like, they're, <laughs> they're, like, they're interventions. Yes. He thought, he basically thought, so, he thought so that there's, they're an eventuality in mathematics, but he thought that there would be some mechanism in nature that he didn't understand that would prevent something from like that forming. Um, basically, which is very humble of him to think that there was like this huge thing that would stop something like that, that he didn't understand. That meant that he was still like, he wasn't, even though he discovered like general general relativity and everything, but like um, he still thought that there was things about the universe that had to have put a stop to a bizarre thing like a black hole. Yeah, like there's no way that they would form, and yet now we he know also that it's too hot thing. on quantum mechanics. Like, no, That's, I don't like it. I don't like it. A lot of people didn't it's, like it. Yeah, quantum mechanics is fucked up too. In the sense that, because it uh, it's not about it's not about where things are or when things are. It's about probabilities. Yeah, and it it's <laughs> it's hard to make sense of it because in any other way other than the the um, group of particles having some sort of memory mm-hmm. of what's happening. Because if you shoot particles and the probability of something happening. Mm-hmm. is like two percent so like uh, a half-life thing for instance um half of the particles will decay in this amount of time mm-hmm. you never predict you never predict which ones are going to decay uh into something else but it will always be half unless you're looking at them yeah. <laughs> like, it'll never be the ones you're looking at. Uh, I don't know. It's just bizarre. And, uh, it's really nobody bizarre. Likes it. Even quantum, quantum physicists don't like it. They're like, they're, yeah. like, they're like, anyone who says they fully understand quantum mechanics doesn't understand quantum mechanics. Like, they don't. They don't get it's it. Weird. Mm. Yeah. But if you look at, I definitely recommend looking at some of the weird shit that can happen with quantum mechanics and you'll feel very uncomfortable and uneasy to anyone listening. Yeah. Uh, a thing that you shouldn't watch or, or do, or like, yeah, is there something that no one should watch if they want to understand quantum mechanics is what the bleep do we know? Yeah. Don't. That movie's so stupid. I used to like that movie too. When I was dumber. Me too. I mean, I used to like a lot of dumb things. <laughs> but that was one of them. Yeah. It's fun to look back and see how dumb you were. Yeah. They just, it was way too, like, well, there was just some things that got wrong about quantum physics. And also, it was more, like, philosophical than... Yeah. That's what a lot of things try to do in t- with quantum mechanics is, like, they make it weird but understandable and like mystical it's weirder than that it's yeah. weirder than the what mystical you're trying to make it, you're trying, you're trying to, to put it into a box yeah it's a lot weirder than any mystical shit that you're trying to use to like understand it it's way like, weirder than that. like when anyone like when i first heard about spooky action at a distance i was like 
that's fucking that's fucked up like hey if we do this if we if we, if we do something to this particle uh, another particle that's identical to it like a million light years away will also be affected instantly instantly and it's like, does that mean that they're all sort of tethered underneath in a, a, a lower dimension, or like? I like to think like, so, but maybe not. Yeah, me too. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You and I. Yeah. We'll find we, out. We'll see. We'll find out. We have that experiment that's coming up. We're gonna run on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be episode eight of the podcast. <laughs> we build a particle accelerator. Everything in the universe, in terms of how celestial bodies um, conglomerate, is also fractal. So, I like to think that the... um, I have no evidence to support this, by the way. (laughs) But since everything else is fractal, I think it's unlikely that uh, our universe, the edge of our universe, is the end of the fractal. I think our universe is essentially part of a bigger structure. Yeah. Well, the whole, like, the 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 bulk or whatever, the um, what they would call the bulk, where all the multiverse yeah. is or whatever. But I don't, I don't know if it's exactly like that, because that's like a string theory thing where you have, well... Bubble, bubble universes and, yeah. Yeah. But there's a... Um, the Schwarzschild radius of the universe, mm-hmm. of the mass of the universe, is the what we can see of the universe. It's just, it's pretty much we could be in a gigantic black hole. A black hole, yeah. The whole universe could be in one, meaning we our universe could have come from another one that class black hole. A black hole, right. Is that what every black hole does? I mean, we don't know because we'll never know because we can't go there's, in them. Well, there, yeah, there's someone who might get a, an idea, but they'd be killed and then they wouldn't be able to really relay any you, information. I thought you were going to say there's someone that that's going to do that that might do that, like you were talking about. <laughs> an actual person was planning on. That sounds like something Elon Musk would do. Musk would do. He would ride his Corvette into the flight. <laughs> Yeah, he'd launch himself, launch him in his that, car, and Grimes yeah. and his baby. He'd probably yeah. just launch the baby. Just launch the baby. Just launch X A eight twelve into the black hole. Jesus. And we're just like, what'd you find out? He doesn't respond. Because he can't. Because he can't. He's dead. <laughs> or he went into a library, or something. Like in that movie. Yeah, in the uh, Interstellar. Yeah. No. Well, there was an ex- there was a reason why he went into a, a library in that movie. It was because there the future people or the aliens or whatever, they left they left like a pocket dimension inside the black hole for him yeah. to go into. Like it wasn't just that this is what happens when you go into a black hole. It was like no. I liked that part of the movie. I didn't think it was Yeah. Stupid. And also I liked the even if it could turn out to be not true, but I like the idea that gravity is so weak because it can interact through dimensions. It's actually like out of all the four well, that's a fundamental theory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, theories anyway. and like you can 
And everyone who makes fun of that movie is like, oh, it's love. That's the greatest thing that, you know, I was like, no, it's gravity. Well, I didn't like that line. <laughs> no, that was Anne Hathaway, like being sappy, but like, but it's people kind of took what she line, said. Though. Yeah, it is. It's very bad. But everyone kind of took her line and then just made it like they thought that that's what the movie was saying. I think people take that's a whole other story. People take what people say in movies as like gospel. And it's like they're just people. They can say dumb things without it being the meaning of the film. But anyway, but like he's able to use gravity to communicate with his daughter like through dimensions and that could be a reason why out of the four fundamental forces why it appears so weak but yeah. um it can actually interact through dimensions that would be That's nice a... because that would be nice because if we ever get into like multiple dimension stuff then it would be nice to be able to communicate through through dimensions like that yeah but if not we're screwed as far as I know, there's no way to <laughs> you do it. You, it's, you, you could theoretically do it through entanglement. The, I saw something. I forget what it was, but it was an article. Because the current theory is that uh, you can entangle particles and they'll affect each other faster than light, but you can't send any meaningful information through them yeah. um, because they're always changing. So it doesn't matter what you do. You'll never be able to send because no one's going to be able to tell whether that was a signal from you or whether that was just the particle a doing particle doing thing. this. Yeah. yeah. Unless you got confirmation, which would take the speed of light. So it would be useless. But I was looking at an article. I can't remember where it was. I will find it. And maybe I'll send it to you. But it was talking about how they're using entanglement in a way that they didn't think was possible, mm. which was they were actually sending meaningful information through it. So maybe that's the thing in sci-fi that they use. I mean, quantum entanglement was, I think, the reason you could communicate in, uh, was it Star Trek? I think they might have said it. I think they might have said it in Doctor Who. But it's been sci-fi up until now, which right. it might still be. Who knows? So this has been a science episode. Um science special that rocky came up with and uh we'd like to do it again maybe sometime it'll be you know fun. we'll see how it, it'll be fun we'll uh we'll bring some more topics next time this is kind of a trial version of it yeah. but i think it went pretty well yeah if you don't like it you know it's because you're stupid that's <laughs> <laughs> okay all right well bye guys it was fun. Bye. Bye. I'm stopping recording. Bye.